Well, hello, everyone. Um, welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm Scott Orr. Um, I received a few emails um, over the past couple of weeks. Oh, I wanted to tell you something really interesting. Um, I may have mentioned this in the past, and I certainly brag about it on Twitter, but um, I, I obsess over the numbers of downloads of this podcast. And when and every single week, I mean, we have a new episode every two weeks, and every single week, the download total is higher than the previous episode. So the graph is just going up like a mountain. And it's um, it's so encouraging and it's so exciting. And I thank everyone for, for sharing it and for engaging. Um, and uh, if you have some suggestions or uh, complaints, I mean, don't send me complaints really, but um, if you want to get involved, my email is podcast at otherrecordlabels.com. And so, so thanks for doing all that, and, and please subscribe if you haven't already. Today's episode is, is one I've been really excited to share with you because it's a, a good buddy of mine, Ben, and um, it, this is a, a, such a fun conversation, and he has so much knowledge. He is so wise. The record label we're featuring today is called Infinite Companion, and it's only um, been in existence for the past um, a few months. It's, it's a brand new label. Currently, they have one artist right now, and she is Frankie Simone. You can check out Infinite Companion um, while we're talking at icrecords.com, and, um, and Frankie's debut EP, Love Warrior, uh, is out in uh, a week, I think, from when this episode airs uh, in June in, in 2018. Gosh, great to have you here. Ben Hubbard from Infinite Companion. And I said that right? Yes. And that is, I mean, there's, we're going to go all over the place because you, I know you from, from CD baby days. Uh, you worked at CD baby for, for a long time. We're going to get into everything. Infinite Companion is a new label with Marmoset, which I want to talk about. <laughs> you also run another record label. So I, I'm going to see as much as we can jam into here. I'm, I'm so excited. Um, do you remember, we talked a couple seconds ago about whether we've ever spoken uh, not via email, but right. do you remember our our meet cute? Do you ever remember the first time we we uh, you got in touch with me? Do you do you know what that was about? God, what was it? It was um, was it about which project was it? So, I'm trying to remember. Okay, so this is going all the way back to 2011 when when you were at CD Baby, and I had been about like eight months into running the label, and we were working on this project, uh, an electronic project called Allosaurus. And yes. okay, you remember this? And, and yeah, totally. there was like this, this was probably one of <laughs> starting a record label. This was one of the breakthroughs to get an email from CD baby personally, that was from like the label department. And I was like, Oh man, like I, I've really made it now. This is the, <laughs> and I remember what happened was on the, on like a, this was back when new releases were on Tuesday. And on, on the Monday morning, I, I think I sent an email like Sunday night, my time. And I said, like I haven't got a confirmation or anything, and and I didn't see the album in like usually it appears a couple days early in some some distributors, and and I was like I'm just a little worried about the digital release of this record, and I sent that to like the general mailbox at CD Baby, and then who we do all of our digital through, and then you responded on the Monday, and we're like I think this was like Monday afternoon because it would have been like morning Pacific time, and mm. you were like. Hey man, there's something wrong. Something got messed up, but don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. And then with, I remember it was like I told the band they were kind of freaking out, and like within six hours it was like pushed to all the streaming sites, and 
And uh, so that was our meet cute. <laughs> I, I really like that Allosaurus record. That was, that was a great was record. First starting to do like, I had been working with some like, you know, top selling artists and labels in the CD baby catalog for, for a while at that point, right. a couple of years I had been doing that job. And that was really early on um, in the, in the time when I had started finally like digging into new music that, that I wasn't necessarily already working with. Okay. Um, and like kind of looking for cool things that I could listen to. And, um, yeah. Allosaurus was one of the first records that I discovered in that, in that process that, that has that's awesome. blossomed to, uh, a whole team at, at CD baby. Now, that's amazing. Really, really exciting. I want to ask you about that, but I do remember another anecdote about, uh, Allosaurus. Um, it, this band was so funny because back in, um, the record came out in September of, of 2011. And in the fall of 2011, one of the guys said, Hey, I got this email from Spotify and somebody there has put our tracks on one of their playlists. This was 2011. And I remember being like, okay, <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was so, I mean, it actually did turn into like a few dollars, but it was like, I, I thought like, oh, I've heard of them. I think they're in the UK and it just really wasn't <laughs> a big deal. <laughs> it was right. just so funny. Cause that would have totally like, uh, you know, bought our lunch if it were, you know, today or bought many a lunches. <laughs> right. Anyway. Well, and it's funny how that, it's not like watch those, like there's a, uh, I guess an inflection point um, where a service becomes popular enough to have a serious impact on the bottom line. And mm. that simultaneous simultaneously means that it's popular enough that it's really hard for a small label or an artist oh, to yeah. get there. Here. Oh, totally. It's, uh, <laughs> so ironic. It's, yeah, exactly. I know, I know that to totally be true. And now I will say, yeah, I'll, I'll just say Spotify has done a really good job. I think of, uh, you know, we all can relate. I'm sure to, to some extent to the issue that they struggle with, which is like, how do we drink from this fire hose? Mm. And I think they've done a pretty good job of, of trying to, to keep that balanced and make sure that, that Indies are still, you know, well-represented in, in their curation efforts. So I, I will say, you know, them and, and Apple have both, I feel like more than previous iterations of, of, you know, digital giants or, mm. or of big, big box music stores yeah, for that matter totally. have been more, more of a friend. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, I think you're totally right. And I, right now, um, I have nothing bad to say about Spotify and, and I really, I really find them to be very artist friendly when it comes to, um, you know, helping kind of like guiding the artists through the process. And I have a buddy right now who's doing everything on his own and, and he got himself verified and he's tracking his own sales and everything. And, um, and I mean, the stuff that they do, you know, the stuff that they do at Christmas, you know, that campaign they do where they send out that, those infographics for each artist, like yeah. that is genius. Like whoever, you know, somebody at Apple is probably just like so mad. They didn't think of that, <laughs> <laughs> but it's just, I think it's so great. It's so good. Well, it's funny. Cause I think it's a, it's a fundamentally different approach. Also like Apple has, you know, a built in corporate orientation towards privacy and that sort of precludes them from doing a lot of those same things, you mm -hmm. know, even, you know, with Spotify, that is 
of obviously voluntary and you don't have to share it. But I think Apple is much that inherent privacy orientation has, has I think kept them out of the artist facing portal space or, you know, allowing artists to market to fans directly space in a a way that I, that, that might, you know, I feel like when I talk to artists um, at CD Baby, that you know people are really excited about getting added to Spotify playlists. But I feel like I'm always having to bring up like, and also we should get on some Apple Music right, playlists. Right? There's yeah, thirty million subscribers. It's true. Fun. I know. People. I mean, my my myself and another guy on our label, Tim of the Brave, are on a a really great Canadian singer songwriter playlist through apple music canada now that's just apple music canada but um but it really doesn't for some reason it doesn't do um anything for play not anything but as much for plays as as the same type of playlist on spotify which i don't understand and i don't think it's the users necessarily even though globally spotify has more users i think it's just maybe the the behaviors of apple users are different than spotify users i think i think well i think spotify does a I won't, I won't say it's a better job because I think it's a, it's a decision that Apple has made hmm. to not market their own curation as heavily and aggressively. Right. And also one of their biggest engines of curation is, is beats one. Hmm. And they've been pouring a lot of effort into beats one as their sort of frontline, like top tier curation product. Right. And it's excellent. Like, <laughs> It's a really good radio station. I feel like a kind of constant sense of regret that um, I don't have more hours in the day to, to just <laughs> listen to, right. to radio in general. Right. Um, right. But but I think that means that like the, the playlists on service don't get as much attention from the editorial staff or from the sort of from a mm. marketing perspective. I think that means you know, less consumption of those playlists. They're also, you know, like, again, going back to the privacy thing, um, it's harder to see what playlists are actually regularly updated on Apple music because they don't show when songs were added to playlists. Right. They don't show the followers a playlist has. Mm -hmm. You can't really, you can't get the same sort of quick glance at a playlist to understand what kind of playlist it is on the service. And I think that also inhibits you know, people engaging as much with playlists as a, as a product on the service. I, I yeah. use Apple music and I love it. But yeah, me too. My, if it is, it's not geared towards discovery and no. exploration. It's Agreed. geared towards your own collection. Uh, and, and I love it yeah. for that reason. Agreed. But, and but I love that's coming. I, I, I go often ahead. go to Spotify. I often open Spotify to see what they're recommending and then we'll go add it to my library through Apple music. <laughs> <laughs> Literally done that. Yeah. <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. I know. I know. But I'll you know be, what? It's I like it also speaks. I will say, like panning over to then like how artists and labels work with those services. I think it speaks to the importance of finding your audience where they are, mm. and it, and and part of the, one of the reasons I get so frustrated with um, artists who who and, I, and I'm totally sympathetic to the argument against you know, streaming services as the primary mode of, of, of interaction with music. It's, it's, you know, I, I think the, the, um, payments to indie artists could be better. Right. I think right. The, way that the, the revenue is divided is, is, 
um, somewhat unfair and could, could be adjusted. Um, but also it is where a huge portion of your audience and, and especially a portion, a huge portion of your audience that are like us that are weird and obsessive about uh-huh. music and subscribe to more than one streaming. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, and end up like, you know, like people who are on Spotify are spending $120 a year on music, which is more than the national, like almost double the national average. Mm. And that's just on the streaming service. They're more likely, those people are more likely to buy vinyl and more likely to go to shows because those are the the top consumers of music, right? Mm. Those are the, the avid fans. And, it, you know, increasingly the, the, the subscriber pool is widening as, as it's come to scale. And, right. and that means that there is a larger pool of streams to be distributed. But, but also I think it's true that, that limiting the distribution of your music to only companies that are, you know, pay fairly or have, you know, sales only, or, um, it, it just means that you're not reaching people in whatever weird method they have yeah, of finding music. That's fair. Um, I think that's the main reason to just kind of get it out everywhere possible and, and, and meet people where they are. Yeah. And, and I think uh, sometimes I, a lot of times, uh, an artist will say, how come, you know, when you share on Facebook, the, our album, you only put the Spotify link or you only put the Spotify and Apple music. And my argument is like, you know, looking at our numbers, Spotify is like 75% and Spotify and Apple is like 99%. And so like, if somebody has, I, my, my kind of thing is thinking instead of providing links for title and seven digital and like Rhapsody and whatever, you know, there are millions that there are to me, it's like people know how to get their own music, you know, and they know, if they know your name and they want to find you, like I don't necessarily need to provide a million links yeah. in one social post um, yeah. because people know music listeners, they have their way of doing things. And yeah, I, you know, um, I, I, I want to ask you something you said, just cause this is something I've always been curious. We're talking about Spotify listeners and, and there is a bit of a complaint that, you know, one of the issues of artists is not getting paid is has possibly has to do with, that fans are only paying nine dollars nine ninety nine to have every record that releases. <coughs> excuse me, this Friday and every record that's ever yeah. released. Um, but you're saying that those people are paying one hundred and twenty dollars a year for music, and that's more than they they would have ten years ago. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying it's more than the average. So okay. the, the average, I, I I don't have the numbers in front of me. I, okay, I, I should probably before I start spouting them. No, that's okay. You can speculate. Actually, what I'm talking about, but. <laughs> <laughs> my understanding is that that's, that's significantly more than the average person spends on music, which means I don't think it means like that Spotify is causing these people to spend more than they otherwise would. Mm-hmm. Although I, I do think that that might be the case. But yeah. That's not the argument I'm making. The case that I'm making is you're inherently getting people who are willing to spend $120, which is more than the average, which means you're seeing that that inherently sorts the high, the people who value music more highly, who are willing to pay more for music, right? Yeah, yeah. Because other there are people who who don't engage with music and who drag that average down on a national level are people who might just be free subscribers to Spotify or just listen right. to the radio. True, you know, people yes. who really just have yeah. their their radio on in their car and listen to, to pop music on the radio. Mm-hmm. Those people aren't the early adopters to a new music service that costs. A subscription fee, right? Yes. And so yes. the people who are, are the people who really do want to dig deep, really do want to discover music and who already 
value music to the place where they're willing to spend $10 a month yeah. on, specifically on music. No, that's know? a good point. And I, 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 I try to, I try to think, you know, these are people who like the, the $120 a year would translate to 10 C, to one CD a month, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. That's totally. interesting. I mean, it, it's funny. It's it's the back of the old record club yeah. model. Just get <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's true. You get thirteen free CDs for one penny. <laughs> um, okay, so um, we are twenty eighteen right now. You and I first met twenty eleven at CD Baby. You were there for how long? Were you at CD Baby? Nine nine and a half years. It'll be. It would have been ten years uh, in March. Okay. And when you, when you left, there was, um, you left just recently and there was a, um, on your Facebook, there was all these people congratulating you. I read something that, that somebody said that this is a, a role, like you worked with labels, but it was something that kind of you invented or was just invented for you. That's not, <laughs> that's not true at all. Okay. It, it was a, it was an, uh, uh, amalgamation of a number of different positions and initiatives there was um <laughs> there was some really cool stuff going on when i when okay. i started at cd okay. baby um dylan majeric who runs Badman records was doing a really awesome like label group um and working with Ryko and then ada um to bring some really awesome physical cds to marketplace that that otherwise um you know wouldn't have had as cool of a, a release um those okay. uh pixies live shows from the first pixies reunion tour and a really okay. fish live cd and some other uh, projects nice. that, that uh, were part of a more formal label group. Um, and um, Ben Cannell and uh, and Phil Bauer, who were um, sort of higher up in the organization when I started, um, were working with you know some of the, the VIP artists to make sure that their records got efficiently handled. And hmm. um, ultimately, I was able to sort of bring all of those threads together into one place and, and combine it also with the work that we did to highlight the best of the catalog. Okay. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I don't, I'm not being modest <laughs> in saying I didn't, I didn't invent it, okay. but I think I did. We did definitely in that time. And, 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 you know, Phil directed a lot of this as well, but we did sort of move in the direction of consolidating all of those things into one more coherent, place where we handle all of the the vip artists and label inquiries and um curate the catalog and communicate that internally sure. and externally and, and you know pitch streaming services and, and um and stores for for features and, and playlists what were you what was your job description when you on your first day at cd baby i was a customer service person okay customer service when i started at cd i had I had a, a previous career. I don't know if we've talked about this, Scott. I had mm. a, a past life uh, <laughs> as a community a community organizer. Okay. For about five five years, um, I worked on political campaigns and on environmental campaigns. Oh, wow. For a number of years, um, doing uh, recruitment and uh, volunteer organizing and field organizing. Um, on yeah, oh, that's a, awesome. A bunch of yeah, I didn't know that global campaigns and uh, and political campaigns, and so I had been doing that for about five years and, and was tremendously burnt out. I right. was at a point in my life where I, I felt like I was being sucked dry. Mm. Um, I really loved the work that I was doing and I, it was tremendously important work at the time. And I'm really proud of some of the things that we accomplished, but 
it also was true that everyone in that world is kind of running on fumes to one degree or another. Okay. Like the, the way that those organizations are held together because there's not a lot of money in progressive politics. Right. Right. The way that you can be effective is by just having people who are a little bit crazed <laughs> and <laughs> motivated to work yeah. 80 hour week. Right. Time. Um, and I, you know, I honestly was finding myself unable to maintain friendships or relationships mm. and, um, just kind of falling deeper and deeper into that world, which, you know, is fine for what it is. But, mm. but I think I, I think I realized that I, I couldn't do that for my entire life. And I uh, found myself sort of discouraged and, and, um, and looking around for something else. And, um, CD baby was going to be just a, just a job, you know, just a temporary, like oh, I can do this. Had you done um, any music industry stuff at all? Yeah, I mean, I had been in bands, and I was actually a CD Baby client. Like, we had a record. Oh, okay. My band had a record on, on CD Baby. Cool. Um, I had had I I worked in a venue for a number of years when I was a, a you know a kid. I was twelve. I started volunteering at a venue called the Wow Hall in Eugene, Oregon. Um, shout out to the Wow Hall; they're awesome. <laughs> it's a um, community-run nonprofit venue and performing arts space um, that has is like just powered by an incredible community of volunteers, and they took me in when I was a little ignorant kid and showed me how a venue works. I got to see so much incredible music, um, and learn so much about how live music works. Um, Mm. and I had a radio show. I did a college radio show. Um, and, and I've been in bands and and that kind of thing. But you know, all of that was kind of always for me, it was never, I didn't ever view music as a potential career path. Right. Um, it didn't seem, plausible it felt like um something that i could do for fun but that like the idea that it would be a career felt unrealistic and and so how did you find out about cd baby i found out about cd baby you had a cd on them right okay yeah we made a record uh my friend casey and i made a record together we have a band called the morals uh, which i would encourage everyone not to look up (laughs) (laughs) i'll include the link in the description yeah um it's just it's it's a it's definitely a passion project. We sure. do it because we lo- just love playing music together. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I, I don't pretend that it's anything more than that. Um, Was CD but, Baby local to you? Did you live yeah, here? So okay. we made, yeah, we we made a record uh, with a friend of ours and uh, recorded it over like a, you know you know those records that are like it took two years mm-hmm. um, yes. recording like three nights a week in his totally. basement, um, and it was just one piece at a time. His daughter was uh, was. I'm not yet born when we started and was, was two years old when we finished. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know those. So we finished that record and, um, and he was like, we'll, we'll put it up on CD baby. He was starting a record label. Um, and he's like, I'll put it up on CD baby. And I was like, what is CD baby? Like, oh, like, Explains the indie distributor. Was that when and the logo was still a CD with a baby on it? It was a CD with a baby on yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. That's um, great that was how I, f- I first found out about it. I think that was in 2007 and it was, it was late 2007 when I ended up applying and then, uh, started in 2008. And you were a customer service rep. Yeah. I was, I was answering the phone and answering emails. I loved it. I like that. It was a smaller, much smaller company. It was about 50 or so employees when I started there. And it was uh, this really bizarre freewheeling atmosphere. The mm-hmm. reason was that the, the owner had kind of, 
washed his hands of it to some extent oh, okay. and running, it was running without him. And okay. so it was a, a little bit, a little bit of like, you know, the teachers out of the classroom, right. <laughs> but in a really positive way, everyone cared a lot about the artists. And so everyone and, was really empowered to, to go out of their way in service of the artists. And, and I you were talking, that, that, sorry, go ahead. You were talking, so you were talking with like the, your customer service. We're talking about young bands who are needing help basically right yeah yeah i mean or, or uh yeah people who needed needing help or just like logistically changing things about their album wondering yeah. what the process is um wanting to send in a hundred cds because they <laughs> were you guys so, doing distribute digital distribution at this time yeah it, so itunes launched in 2003 i think okay and cd baby was one of the launch partners so it was we were about and that was the lot the initial foray to digital distribution so right. CD Baby had been doing digital for about four years four and a half years when i started how many other um i get asked all the a lot all the time um you know who to go with when it comes to uploading how many other people and i always say cd baby just because of you and and the nice people there but um how many others were, um, how many other options did artists have for uploading at that time? At that time, it was, uh, a couple heaping handfuls. They've, it's a pretty, the barriers to entry are high, but not prohibitive. Okay. And so it's a space that people will enter and then realize it's, it's, it has been until, I think what I'll say actually is it was only, in the last couple of years that somebody finally figured out how to truly automate a lot of mm. the stuff. Okay. And that was disturbed. Philip's genius and, and built a software that does incredible stuff. I'm in, I'm in awe. I will. <laughs> I've heard that a lot. Frankly. Uh, yeah. I mean, of the, of their technological solutions. Yeah. That said, if you're a label like, like yourself or like us, it, it I don't want a purely technological solution. I still need to work with someone and especially someone that's excited about the music that was that I'm releasing. Totally. That's, uh, and yeah, I, and that's, I think that's yeah. what CD baby does so well is it just a, a whole room walking into the office in the morning. There was just a whole room of passionate people who are most almost entirely musicians themselves, um, helping other musicians and, wow. and labels their wow. stuff out there. And that, that to me, that was, and that was my job when I started and, that, and I just loved it so much. Um, and you know, in the first six months I was there, I got to have conversations with the antlers and with Justin <laughs> Vernon who distributed a project with CD baby wow. and it was, and, and, um, yeah, like just discovering yeah. like really incredible musicians and music that, that started by self-distributing and, right. and it, that being part of that launch pad was, was really exciting to me. Um, and I, I realized like, wow, I really love this. <laughs> I can, I think I'm good at it. Yeah. And, that's amazing. Uh, kind of, kind of took off from there. I re just, uh, I go back to distro kid. I, I, and, and I remember when that kind of came on the scene a couple of years ago and people were talking about it, I was really interested in how, you know, their pricing model and, and how things worked. And I was like, Oh, you know, maybe, I should research that. I knew the relationship I had with you at CD Baby and and that there was a human element to that, like you say, that um, has a huge value and, and you've done some incredible um, help for us, not just technically, but but advice and, and pitching to to editorial. But um, the it was it just didn't make sense because 
Um, I think the pricing, like it's really appealing for a bedroom artist, but when you have mm-hmm. multiple artists and multiple releases and, and they're in, and you want to do stuff like, you know, choose your own release date or, yeah. um, have your label as the copyright, there's a lot of extra features that cost more money. And, yeah. uh, and then of course, just that, um, a relationship that was already there with CD baby. It just didn't really make sense, but it is cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it to me, it's, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I, I would call myself, I guess, a, like a, a technological Luddite. Like I, I, I am simultaneously fascinated by and repelled by technology. I think. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it's really exciting to see someone solving problems that way. And at the same time, like the, like part of me that loves like spending three days in the wilderness, uh, feels a, a sense of loss around the human connection. Yeah. Um, so at what point did you start party damage? And can you tell me a little bit about that? So party damage was, so Casey, I actually talked about the morals a little bit. Casey and mm-hmm. I had been playing music together for, um, at that point, uh, it was 2012. So I guess we've been playing music together for 10 years at that point. Wow. Um, and we had been talking a little bit about, um, we, you know, Casey had worked in music. He, he worked at record stores and then, uh, was the, um, the music editor at Willamette week here in, in Portland. And then, uh, was the editor at the believer magazine. And so it was, you know, had a history of music journalism and, um, I had been working for CD baby for a while and we felt like, wow, we, we actually have some tools and skills mm. that we, we could help. And, and really the, 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 our only thought was like, we can help our friends make records. Like we yeah. had friends. Right. And really, we were really, like we loved them as people, but also loved the music they were making and felt like it could find a wider audience. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was, you know, something Casey had been working on it at, at the paper when he was writing was like he was part of a shift in that paper where they specifically started writing more about local music and supporting oh, cool. local artists. And I felt like I had the same orientation at CD baby that I was always thinking about ways to do more for, for bands and for artists. And so we had that in common. And then I think we had, we enjoyed arguing about music <laughs> and had a, a musical taste that, that overlapped sometimes. And those, projects that we that we would listen to those bands that we would listen to that we both felt really passionately about i think we felt some kind of like pretty uh strong um we felt that those artists had some objective truth to their um excellence (laughs) and so and they were all your friends mostly no so we were thinking about this in terms of like we both really love Elvis Costello Casey, maybe a little more than me. And I think he might've introduced me to, to Elvis Costello, but, but that, uh, or like, um, the weaker Vans and, and John mm-hmm. K. Samson, um, that we had these, these artists that we both just had, like felt like we loved more than the rest of the world. Right. Um, <laughs> like why does the world love these artists more? Um, and, and then applying that same metric, we, we agreed that we would only put out records that we both felt, like a hundred percent yes on that either of us had a question about it. We probably wouldn't do it. Okay. Okay. That's good. So that was kind of how we, we started thinking about it. And then one of our friends was putting out a record and, and asked, actually asked me at CD baby if I could help them um, release it. And I said, Hey, like, would you be interested? Casey and I have been talking about starting a record label and um, kind of went from there. Wow. And I mean, <laughs> was, it told- yeah, that it- was, 
That was uh, Wild Ones. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, were, I remember that one. Yeah. And uh, that's, I mean, it totally makes sense because, um, you know, you had essentially the key to the kingdom. I mean, you're seeing so many records being released and helping artists and, and working at a distributor. I feel like it would, if you're passionate about music, it kind of makes sense to start a label. Yeah, it, it did feel a bit, and it has over the years felt like a bit of a, uh, I think the phrase is postman's holiday. Um, okay. <laughs> I will, I will, uh, you know, on my time off from my day job, my hobby is putting out records. Right. <laughs> my day job is also putting, <laughs> putting out, out records. records. <laughs> um, it can definitely feel a little bit um, overwhelming sometimes. And I, I, I miss, you know, I don't get to spend as much time on my bike. I don't get to spend as much time in the woods. Right. Um, and, and, you know, Casey and I have been less creative together as a band starting the label, mm. but you're right. There's like those synergies of like, you know, even just that, that I didn't have to ask somebody what an ISRC code yeah. was. I just knew what an ISRC <laughs> exactly. code was already. Yeah. I think we had, we did have a little bit of a head start anyways. Well, even financially too, there's a, a few things that you would have had access to that could, that would save your bands money, which is huge. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely like, you know, being able to plug into distribution easily, yeah. um, have us kind of in house was, was great. Um, I tried to keep those streams as separate as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I would always try to balance my own projects off of someone else internally to make sure that I wasn't right. like <laughs> just wrong about something being good before I, it. <laughs> um, but it, but also, you know, I, I could guide the projects in a direction that I felt like was, um, was going to find an, an audience. Hopefully. I don't know. Well, and, uh, I've, yeah, I've been following the label right, right from the beginning. And I remember, um, for our Canadian listeners, you um, signed Andy Schaff just like just before he blew up as well. Yeah, and that was that was uh, huge. I mean, yeah. he's he's like a national treasure now here in Canada since the since the um, since he signed Arts and Crafts. But um, yeah, this was back at uh, the bearer of bad news. Yeah, well, it was it was actually funny because um, we found out he had released the bearer of bad news in two thousand and mm -hmm. I think. 12 or 14, 12, I think, right. um, on CB, on CD baby. Oh no. Um, way. Yeah. So just he on his own. Yeah. And that was what we heard. Um, and when Casey saw him at M for Montreal and started talking to him and his manager and the conversation initially was like, what's next? Like, is he looking for a label? And they said, well, he's looking for, uh, you know, to sign to a, a much larger label, but, but we are interested in sort of, re-releasing bearer of bad news, which had never really seen a formal release in the United States. Right. Um, so it, it, uh, was a really exciting prospect to us because that record still has like a really emotional place in, oh in my, my heart. Gosh. It's so good. Being able to be part of the team. And we, we, we teamed up with some of our best friends, um, another label here in town, a tender loving empire. Right. Um, right. uh, and they were able to help us um, fund that release. And um, I, I think everyone was just so thrilled that we had this giant high five of, of these two labels that had such admiration for each other. Yeah. Plus an artist who was more involved in that release. Like um, we structured the deal so that Andy was really actively involved in it. And oh, cool. everyone was like super thrilled to, to be part of that team. And then with the end result, 
Um, I mean, and, and, and I should say Amanda Pitts at um, Cobra Commander that then at that point now chromatic PR um, did an absolutely incredible job. Um, Jess Martinick at Cosign, our radio promoter, um, cool. was an absolute monster. Just <laughs> did like tireless, tireless work for that record. And ultimately, and, you know, introduced Andy to Chris Duradas at, at KCRW, who really loved him, brought him on school night and, mm. and was what it led to ultimately him being signed to anti, wow. um, which was another little dream for Casey and I, um, that feeling of, of success when Andy went to the label that I feel like is the, just the most tirelessly supportive of the truly great idiosyncratic artists in the world. Who oh, are making that's awesome. Songs that nobody else can make. Yeah, um, well, that's true. That yeah. was a, a tremendous thrill, and and uh, you know, I, I feel lucky to have been just a tiny piece of that. I, I think every every ounce of credit that anybody else gets for that record um, is ultimately probably unfairly taking away from the, the absolute brilliance of Andy mm. and just yeah. being yeah. <laughs> like such a like. He made that record all by himself, didn't he? Like mixed and everything. Every, there was a there was I think a drummer that played on one song. Okay, and played every other instrument, oh my including clarinet. And yeah. oh my gosh, um, you know. And as a as a Canadian in the indie music scene, I am one of the people that overlooked the Bear of Bad News when it came out like originally with yeah. it, which with the original artwork. And I, 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 I think it was honestly, I think it was too cool for the time. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think we were ready for it. Like there was something really, um, chill about it. And, um, it was a style of music that, um, maybe just didn't fit that era in, in 2010 or 2012 or whatever. Um, and, uh, but now it's like, yeah, it's just so, it just works so well. I, the first time I saw Andy um, he, live, he opened the show with Wendell Walker, which is, for mm. those of you, you should immediately just go listen to this song. <laughs> yeah. The song that, that basically the entire um, sort of saga of working with Andy came out of Casey and I's passion for this, this one song. Um, but it's an eight minute long murder ballad mm. that starts with like almost a whisper and he would open a show there'll be a, a, a it, the challenges and this was i think at south by southwest in a crowded loud room and he opened the show into this room of of shouting essentially right the quietest song on the record <laughs> and it it took less than five seconds for the entire room to be completely silent unbelievable i've never seen anything like it it that's was like amazing so immediately arresting and I, and i think that's the 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 it's a, it's an, I, I can't, I don't know what it is. He has some, so there's some immediacy to his yeah. songwriting and his performance that it's just rare and you just see it and you, and you know, but I don't know how to describe it. Well, I'm, a, I like his new record. I'm a huge fan of the bear of bad news to me. That's a, a Canadian classic and it's, um, but he, after, uh, the, um, visitor or the party, um, that he just blew up and over the summer yeah. and all last year, um, he, he just blew up. In fact, I, after this conversation, I want to check discogs to see how much my white party damage vinyl is worth <laughs> of, of the bear of bad <laughs> news. <laughs> I, I think the white vinyl is, isn't that the, the, 
that's the first pressing. No, right? no. Well, yeah. That's second you pressing guys. on the back. Yes. Okay. First one. Yes. 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 So, yeah. So that's a first. I think it was the first 500 were white. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. Then has been black, I believe. Oh, yeah. I'm cashing that in. No, I'm just kidding. I'm yeah. not. <laughs> oh, it's great. I felt, I felt really lucky they were kind enough to give Casey and I copies of the first pressing as well. So I have, um, oh, cool. I have the whole the whole history of uh, of that record on the first pressing and then the test pressings and the first edition of oh, our man. version. I love test pressings. Uh, it, you know, it, yeah. I want to ask you about that record um, just as a general, because I've often thought about, you know, um, the opportunity to re-release a record. And was that a challenge knowing that, a portion of Canada and, a, and his hometown and, and the press of would, would ignore a re-release essentially. Was was that a we challenge? Spent a, we spent a lot of time talking about it. And uh, Amanda was super, Amanda Pitts again, our publicist was super helpful in guiding that conversation. Okay. And one of the things that she made us aware, I was like, listen, like it, we're technically not going to be able to premiere any of the songs mm-hmm. because they've, They've been released before, and we don't want to be dishonest about that. Yeah, that's fair. So we were trying to figure out a way to talk about it that that really explained, like, this is a record that, this is a, a gem, you know? Mm-hmm. And it had only been a couple years, so it wasn't, or a year even, it wasn't like we were we weren't doing, like, some light in the attic dig back into the 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at the same, but at the same time, like, I saw the numbers, and, and, you know, almost nobody in the United States had heard the record. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity just, just to present it to people pretty honestly as like, Hey, you probably haven't heard this. This this is finding a wider release now. Um, it, it worked in that, in that case. I I don't think it, the thing, and I think it worked because we were pretty honest about it and because we were doing it as a label and putting our kind of like saying like, this is something we discovered and we're really passionate about it. And Andy was coming to, he hadn't played in the United States in years and years. But there was and a different so, track listing and a different artwork, right? Uh, I believe the track listing was identical. Um, okay. But, the, but there was different artwork. Uh, shout out to Adam Grano, our it's designer. Amazing artwork. Amazing. Yeah, they absolutely was, beautiful. Was that package. in a way to kind of trick people or just to kind of re- hit the reset no, button? It was really just about it was really just about making a distinction between those releases. Oh, okay. and, and, and honestly, maintaining that, I think having a, for a copy of that first edition is is special you know it's like mm-hmm. this is this was the the expression I, I i was i felt tremendously a, a warm feeling that like this incredible artist had created this record on his own and then self-released it that and, and it, mm-hmm. even more so self-released it through cd baby that yeah. i worked for yeah and um we were definitely not trying to distance ourselves from that but rather say you probably didn't hear that because a it was a very small pressing. They they sold all of them already. Sure. And b um, just never found. He, he wasn't focusing on on the states at that time. It was just a self released record that's mostly just released in Canada. So did you get any press coverage in Canada for the? We did. Explain was super. I think that he has a um, he has a, 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 a I don't want to make it sound derogatory he has a very rabid following right, <laughs> in right. certain years. sure yeah. um rightly so i think i mean mostly i think it's just that people in canada had had more of an opportunity to see him perform and True. it literally yeah. just takes seeing andy perform to be 
completely overwhelmed and and in love with his music for life right like, oh, that's yeah. all it takes yeah and it was just that there was more opportunity for for folks in canada to have seen him and so and and so there were outlets that covered it from the angle of of this you know american label is excited about this record and is, is giving it a reissue and we're excited to support it well and that's kind of a story was, yeah. on its own yeah yeah it was it was it was tremendously validating to see how people responded to that it was one of the best experiences we've had um and again i mean it ultimately just boiled down to andy being andy and, and yeah no that's being, fair you know, you can't look away. You so know? you, did you have any expectations of releasing this, the follow-up to that? Or were, were you always just a way to kind of, um, tribute that, uh, record? I don't want to get too much into our like, sure. Contract or sure, anything. Sure, sure. Um, you know, we definitely were excited for supporting Andy in, in whatever way was best for mm. his career. And if that meant working with him on the next record, um, while he looked for a label for the one after that, we were excited for that. As right. it turned out, you know, he was able to get the attention of, of Auntie and they did the, the, the party and we were super thrilled, um, that that was the, the way it worked out. Well, and you know, to me, when I started running a label to me, that has always been like the end goal. The end goal is for not for me to become a major label, but is to, you know, hopefully be a, a feeder or a tastemaker for, um, for the next level. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that, to me, that absolutely. has always been a dream to do what you've done. Scott, can we hit pause for one sure, second? Sure, I'm sure. losing my conference room. Oh, sure. And I'm going to find another one. Okay. Cool. Sorry. <laughs> and let's see. I might be, I might have to just sit at my desk, which might, <laughs> might be no a little problem. bit loud. Hopefully I won't annoy anyone with the conversation <laughs> okay we still sound okay oh yeah yeah it's no problem okay ah, cool okay so here i am i'm back <laughs> yeah i just think that's um you know we had we had an artist um a band um on our label who's just recently signed with arts and crafts and they they were a we we did an EP with them years ago. I had absolutely um, zero impact on their career, but um, it's to me just to be able to say there's a former roster and and then they left and they've done their own thing all on their own and they're incredible band Elevator and um, but to see them thriving now, it's like you know and it's like you've been saying over and over you, you know what you can't take any credit but it's just so rewarding to see bands get what they deserve yep exactly and that was we've had that experience a couple times wild ones also uh joined the roster of top shelf records oh wow um, and we got to to know those guys who are oh, incredible great. and that's and amazing such awesome stuff since then so yeah it is like our favorite experience um as a label i think that's so cool talking about other labels i want to ask you about um something you talked to me about an email, which is mind blowing and it's the Portland label coalition. What is this? So, yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Cause it's not, it's, we had initially the idea that this would be this like public entity that was uh, you know, a group of labels working together and supporting each other and, and doing awesome stuff. And we've done a little bit of that, but, but honestly, what's been most exciting for, for me and, and the folks that, that are part of this is really just getting together 
maybe every month or so and um (laughs) complain like having having a couple beers and talking to other people who manage record (laughs) labels um amazing it's been really helpful to, to just compare stories and share notes and talk about who's struggling with what finding those things that are problems for all of us and figuring out if there are solutions that one of us has for those problems that someone else hasn't thought of. Um, it's been incredible. It's, so, so it's a group cool. of labels. Um, uh, awesome um, venue here in town called Holocene put together um, for a few years in a row, uh, a little event called label mates. And it was, oh, nice. you know, a, 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 sh- a record show basically for record labels. And at that event, I sat uh, next to, uh, John Shepsky of Fluff and Gravy Records and Vincent Brancari of Mama Bird Records hmm. and or Mama Bird Recording Company and got it, getting to know those guys. Um, I think was that was definitely the, the impetus for this project, and um, it's kind of blossomed from there. And we have a really cool community of labels um, who are. Can you tell us something? Out. Yeah. Um, so my the let's see. I, I want to try not to leave anyone out. Sure. There's um, Good Cheer Records mm-hmm. and Kill Rock Stars and Tender Living Empire and Fresh Select and Party Damage and Fluff and Gravy and Mama Bird and I think that's I'm trying to think if I've you said horribly excluded uh, um, anyone but X Ray is that a that is a radio station right yeah or is that is that a label so as X-ray, well yeah X Ray Records is an awesome little label that is an imprint. Um, of the radio station, essentially. And they've done a really awesome job of releasing um, records that I think have, they're, they're challenging records. They put out the Sun Angle record and Blessed Chest, who are a couple of Portland bands um, made up of kind of Portland rock royalty in, in both cases, um, who are making like really interesting, aggressive, challenging music. Cool. Um, and they just, I think, put out the Secret Drum Band record, which is awesome. Everyone should listen to that. So how did that start? Like, uh, I mean, that it's, I think it's a great idea. It's a brilliant idea. And I want to see if that's something, um, you know, I can do regionally, but, um, how did that start? And were you, uh, were you nervous at all reaching out to other labels and saying, Hey, let's, uh, steal each other's ideas. Yeah. (laughs) It's funny. It it definitely came out of the label mates, um, uh, fair festival thing. Um, we kind of started talking at that point. Um, we put together a similar thing at um, PDX Pop Now. A bunch of labels had a little um, mm-hmm. pop-up shop, basically. Um, and we just kind of started brainstorming about what we could do. And then when I sent the initial email, I was really nervous and like put everyone on BCC because I didn't <laughs> want anyone to feel like I was putting them on blast. And sure. felt like very, very shy about reaching out to kill rock stars because they're so cool. Yeah, uh, no kidding. But uh, Ben and Portia were like, super excited and friendly and, and have become very totally. you know active supporters. And, and it's, yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, a really tremendously like positive. And, and you, did you, were period. some, did some labels say, no, we're good. Or did it, was everybody really on board? Some labels never got back to the email, Okay, that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it, you know, definitely the, the, the community of labels that, that we're working with is, is, at least a good portion of the, of the labels in Portland that are, that are doing stuff right now. And, and how often do you get together? You said once a month? 
roughly it, it's very you know obviously sure. um like as you can imagine that scheduling is uh, yeah, very challenging yeah, yeah. um and we try to keep it as as informal as possible we're really not trying we the last thing on earth that we would want is for it to be a chore sure know? so it's just um, a get together like just a chat and and vent yep and we may in the we'll plan you know maybe we want to do we're doing in may we're setting up a, a little record fair here in portland um where we're all going to bring you know our our newest releases and um some records from our catalog and and sell them and and then have a little show at a brewery. Well, you know, it's, I mean, this to me is so fascinating and obviously it's very in line with, with what I'm doing here, but uh, it's so fascinating because it's like a record label of record labels. I mean, the whole idea of a label from, from my standpoint, when I started was here's a bunch of bands trying to figure out how to press CDs and let's put our resources together. Let's share, um, yeah, let's share guitar amps. Let's share recording equipment. Let's um, share our knowledge on how to to reach blogs. Um, I think that's so fascinating to to think that could possibly happen with labels. Yeah, it, that's something that I think when Casey and I started Party Damage, one of the things that we were pretty vocal about was wanting to be fairly genre agnostic. Okay. I think I'll be the first to admit that we've done a pretty bad job of <laughs> some of that. I mean, some of what we wanted to do was to really um, like actively promote diversity on our roster and right. try to put out as many kinds of records. We wanted to make a jazz record. We wanted to make a hip hop record. I think we haven't done as good of a job at, at doing that as, as we could have maybe, but nonetheless, I think the, the work with the label coalition is part of that is um, being able to work with all these different people and, and, um, and every label has a different approach. Right. And Hmm. we don't all like everyone else's releases. Definitely not all of them. That's fair. Yeah. But, but I think uh, realizing how the, the different ways that people approach the project, um, I think makes all of us better at it. Um, you know, thinking about how a label like Erst, um, approaches, their records and the, you know, how much engineering work they do with their artists, um, is, you know, uh, really interesting hmm. for us and, and hearing about how they approach press and how they approach radio, um, working with, um, you know, TLE and, you know, they have a, not just a label, but also a series of, of really awesome shops for right. local handmade right. goods. Um, and learning about how their sort of synergistic approach uh, means that they can sell their records in their own record store. Huh. Um, and, it, and, and they're good enough to carry our records there as well, which is really awesome. That's so cool. But yeah. Like, those conversations, I think um, it, it, we all share some of the same struggles, but also have really, really the differences in the labels to me are the exciting thing about it. The so the label coalition is this something that could happen on a a, a a bigger level? Do you think that it's 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 possible there um, on a national level that that labels could get together? Well, it's funny you should ask because there actually is a national organization of record of independent record labels oh. called A Two I M, and um, as a Canadian label, I believe you could join. I think as a as a uh, associate member, although I, I don't know, we should look into that because okay. it could be that. It's you. It might be for U.S. and Canada, but I know at least in the U.S., 
A2IM is, an, is a national association of independent record labels. They have a conference in New York every June. Oh, cool. I've gone and it's incredible. Um, and it is a, exactly that. It is, it is a, an industry organization for independent record labels. And together with like Merlin and AIM in the UK, um, have done a lot. Uh, I think, you know, a big part of why Apple and Spotify have been so supportive of Indies is because of the work of organizations like A2IM wow. pushing them. To, yeah. And then, and then Spotify hired Jen Massett, their new head of their indie team is from a, was working at A2IM. Oh, amazing. And That's so great. It, you know, it, it's, it's the organization that really has done more, I think in the U S um, to, to further, uh, independent labels and their success. That's really cool. Uh, what, um, so for what you guys are doing in, in Portland, how would you advise other cities to start something similar to that? Just start it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Just do it. Okay. Um, I mean, it, it, like I said, like I think we had grandiose ideas about what we were going to do when we started the label coalition. And it, it isn't, you know, we still don't have a, I think we still don't have a profile picture up on the Facebook page, right, for example. Right. Like it's not like a, a super big public thing yet. Yeah. But, but even so just getting together for beers every month or two hmm. has been tremendously valuable. Do, so, you, do you have like, don't, a, don't, yeah, go ahead. Don't be intimidated. Just do it. That's smart. Do you have like a chat group or, or like a little forum that you guys can connect on? Yeah, we've got a little secret Facebook group that we connect on and, and we have multiple email threads and that's great. Less efficient about it than we could be probably. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I think it's so great. And like we were saying early on, I've said so many times, it's just, you know, finding like running a label is it, it, it's something that I think about when I go to sleep and I think about when I wake up. Um, but to be able to kind of share that with someone yeah. um, is priceless. Yeah. It's been, it's been really great to, to find this community. And that is really and, cool. Yeah. So, um, I, I won't keep you much longer, but I want to go, I want to talk about what you're doing now. You left CD yeah. baby just this past Christmas and you're heading over to Marmoset. Can you tell us what's happening over there? Yeah. So I've been here for about a month. Um, Marmoset, if you don't know, is a, uh, creative, uh, music agency, mm-hmm. uh, sort of teak, uh, licensing and original music, uh, composition. Um, and, uh, they've been around for about eight years. Yeah. Um, and have a really amazing catalog of indie bands um, for licensing, as well as uh, an incredible team of producers and composers who work on staff and, and on contracts to create original music for, for projects. Oh, cool. Um, and the project that I'm going to be working on is a new thing called Infinite Companion, and it's going to be basically an in-house record label. And the idea is we work with a ton of different artists um, who have incredible music that is we're helping find success in licensing, mm. uh, which is, you know, a big part of, of the career these days for, for an indie artist to really be successful. I think it's, it's a, a pretty important part of the, the revenue puzzle. Um, and so really thrilled with that side of the work, but realizing like we could also help with some of the other parts of this work. And, mm. and if we can find exciting things, um, to support, um, especially from underrepresented communities, um, from people who might not have had the opportunity to put, make a record or, or to, um, to have a record, find a wide audience, um, that we have a platform here that we can use to sort of amplify those voices 
and to make records that might not otherwise exist. Right. Um, and, and, and to have them make financial sense because we're able to sort of integrate the work that we're doing as a label with the work that we're doing as uh, a licensing company. Is there a certain genre that you're going after or will it be broad? It's going to be as broad as we can make it. Okay. Okay. Cool. I mean, that kind yeah. of makes sense. So I think- are 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 the artists so, so the artists that you find through your catalog who have submitted to Marmoset are they um, have they re- already released some of their music is this music that they have made just for licensing purposes that you think would be yeah. good for the public? So no, so most of the artists that Marmoset works with, uh, you know, have they they release their music one way or another, whether as part of a record label, we work with some really awesome record labels, including Tender Loving Empire, who I mentioned. Um, Mm. But also, you know, a lot of folks who self-release their music. um, And um, I think that the the synergy is, is around being able to sort of integrate the efforts and to have, you know, the success in licensing be part of, the story that we can tell around the artist. Um, Mm. We're definitely not just looking for like super licensable music that obviously for what we do is helpful, but, but I think it's not, um, it's not the prerequisite. It's definitely not um, sort of the, the, the impetus for it. Right. Um, So you talked about the importance of, of, of licensing. I found it to be very, um, intimidating and I discouraging it's in the past Mm -hmm. 10 years. Like what advice can you give to labels who are, who are trying to find some home or, or for, for DIY artists who are looking to, to um, get their music licensed? So I'm pretty new to this. You know, I I started about a month ago and one of the things that I'm most excited about is getting to work with this incredible team and learn more about how all this works. Right. I, you know, we've done as a label, we've done licensing. We have some of our catalog with, with Marmoset and we've done um, licensing deals directly, but we were never very good at it. I don't really know how it works. Um, and one of the things that I've been picking up in the, just the, the week or two that I've been having these conversations is that not everything is right for all different kinds of licensing and, mm-hmm. and Marmoset right now does a lot of advertising licensing and there's music that doesn't work for that. Sure. And, and it doesn't mean that it's bad music. It just means that it's not a, necessarily a good fit for, for what advertisers are looking for, you know, um, especially, you know, if there's no instrumentals, a lot of artists don't have instrumentals yeah. of their songs True. and that can be a real challenge. Um, if things are sort of, if the pacing is pretty slow and, um, doesn't, doesn't give you a sort of direction, um, Hmm. emotional direction, um, it can be a challenge, you know, especially if it's a song that's driven by the lyric and then you're using the instrumental version and it doesn't really have a trust to it. Yeah. Um, so it's something that, that, you know, I'm excited to learn more about what, what makes music successful for licensing and also to, to think about like, cause some of the most iconic, even in the world of advertising, some of the most iconic campaigns I can think of have used songs that you wouldn't necessarily think of. It's That's like fair. Yeah. For licensing, you know, like the, the Volkswagen pink moon commercial, I think is the one that everyone thinks of as the most brilliant moment in <laughs> creative <laughs> licensing and advertising. But, but 
how do how how can a label or an artist find a home for their song that is perfect? I honestly don't know. I think yeah. um, I, I, I'm I'm still kind of kind of learning that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting, and I mean, I I've I've heard all along that people saying it's a great uh, alternative revenue stream for artists um, to to kind of um, further exploit their the the music that they've made for their fans. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, and I, I really, I do feel hopeful for it. Um, f- you know, for, for us to find some success with it and, and you just turn on the TV for 10 minutes and just count how many times you hear music in the background, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and it's like, it's like, there's definitely a, a nonstop need for it. Well, and there's more TV now than ever. Like, you know, mm-hmm. there's yeah. Amazon and there's Netflix. More dramas, and- yeah. Hulu and like all these original shows, all of which need music. Yeah. Um, so there is a lot of, of opportunity. I do think, you know, one of the, one of the things that, um, that as a, as a community we should be careful about is not undervaluing the music, um, you know, because right. there's so much need for it, making sure that, you know, we're still negotiating fair contracts and, and getting, making sure that we're maintaining the value of the, of the songs. Um, are but there, about. are there brand, and I know that I'm, I'm just asking questions is if you don't know, that's okay. I, but I'm, yeah. are, are there artists who are, uh, I was just always under the impression that, that some of those places like Marmoset and, and music bed are, are mostly really talented, uh, instrumentalists who are, who are crafting songs from the beginning that they know will work well with advertising or wedding videos. Are there, you know, uh, is it still possible for just an average tune to, to make it? Definitely. Yeah. It's, 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 there are, you know, there are definitely artists that are getting really smart about figuring out mm-hmm. what people are looking for and making really cool stuff that, that meets that need. But I think also there's, you know, our catalog is, is probably 80% um, indie bands that have given us the records to work on and, and, and an awesome collection of, of, vintage music actually a couple of labels um with really incredible um like classic soul and r&b stuff that um, that does really well that's um so no i don't i don't think it's i think it's just a different i think it's a, a um a different need right like some work doesn't doesn't want a song that has a really strong melody that's hmm. going to distract from what's going on. They really just want a jingle, you know, yeah. like just leave yeah. it in the background, just a little like, yeah. Um, and sometimes people want a really strong narrative statement and those two things take a different approach. Um, I'm learning a lot just in the last couple of weeks from watching our team who works on original music and how they approach those projects. So they'll get a, you know, a need and they'll, they'll look for stuff in the catalog as, and, and present a, a sort of slate of options. Right. Yeah. So you have some original tracks and some, uh, some original songs and some songs that um, that we're we have in the licensing catalog to try to sort of dial in on uh, what kind of sound the clients look. Well, it's like you said, you know, you know, a few minutes ago, it's just you would never really predict what it is that someone's looking for. I had a buddy who used um, Marmoset for a, a TV show, and he only wanted indie rock. He was that was he just mm-hmm. he wanted indie rock with vocal, which you know is kind of surprising, but it's great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're running infinite. Yeah, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, I think the, some of the best moments are when those kind of unexpected mm. musical choices can really define a scene or define a project. I think our team here, both in the supervision and original music teams, do a really good job of looking for those opportunities. That's awesome. Well, yeah, Mar I've been aware of, of Marmoset for a long time, and, and they've always had a really cool aesthetic. And um, were they exclusively doing bands from the Pacific Northwest? Was that true? Like, I thought somebody told me that, that they were only artists from, from that region. Mm. I mean, maybe that was a, uh, a I took old a wise. Of coffee there. That's okay. No, uh, no, it, well, it was part of our <laughs> tagline, if I'm honest, <laughs> for, for a number of years. Oh, okay. Um, it specifically said sounds from, from the Pacific oh, Northwest. okay. Sorry. Okay. Maybe that's um, <laughs> That's probably where you got the idea. <laughs> okay. Well, um, it's, yeah, but it's, no, that's definitely not the case anymore. And so we're really excited to dispel that myth. That's so awesome. Thanks for the opportunity. Okay. We love bands from all over the world. <laughs> that's great. Um, so uh, that's awesome. So you're running party damage still? Yeah, we're, you know, uh, we've definitely slowed down. Um, mm. But um, at the very most, I would say that we are uh, hitting the space bar for a second. Sure. Um, definitely not <laughs> holding up shopping. <laughs> that's awesome. And and has Infinite Companion launched officially or are you, you're building that no. right now? No, I, I don't know when this is going to go out to the world, but I think the announcement of the, the project is going to be uh, March 1st. Oh, okay. Um, well, it won't be before so, that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, maybe, I guess by the time this, this airs, um, it will exist. That's um, awesome. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, really thrilled. Excited about that. Uh, what excites you about the current music industry right now? Um, I think the thing that's most exciting to me is the degree to which barriers between genres are starting to dissolve. Mm. Like the idea of genre is starting to dissolve. Totally. I think there was a time in the like late aughts and early teens when the genre proliferated and, you know, there were a million micro genres mm -hmm. and we're at, I think we're at sort of the, fractal end of that process where they've gotten so small that they don't exist anymore right. <laughs> to some extent like right you can use a set of adjectives to describe your music but but i like more and more seeing shows that are that again pre present something unexpected you can see two bands or artists playing together that that you, you would never have seen playing together five years ago. Yeah. To me, that's really exciting. And, and I think, um, people being more open to new music. I mean, even like, I'm not a big fan of, of aggressive EDM or like dubstep, but the fact that kids, I want to say kids, <laughs> but like sure. people who are really, who be, people who are really passionate about that music. I mean, the songs, pop songs that you hear on the radio today, are more interesting and more sort of avant, I think, than ever in history. There's such mm. a wide variety of sounds being made mm. and of techniques for, for creating sounds. Um, it, it's, it's a cool time, both, both to be an Indian and to have you know, a community of, of collaborators and artists who are um, working together on incredible new sounds. And also just to, you know, listen to top 40 radio is interesting. Yeah. Um, not all of it, not all of it, but 
but that's a really, really cool stuff that yeah. has found like mainstream success. That's a really great answer. I, I hadn't really thought about, you know, when I, when I asked that, I, you know, generally thinking about the, the somewhat depressing state of the industry and, and, and the potential future, but uh, going back to the music, it's, it's a really great point, you know, and I think you're right. I think that is a really cool thing. Um, I, I know even just on Fridays looking for new music and I'm like, Oh, what's alternative or what's electronic. And, and it's yeah. like, I would never have thought that band is, you know, you, you click on electronic record and it starts with an acoustic guitar, <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, it is, it's a cool time though. I think that's a really great point. That's yeah. exciting. And I, I mean, I think well, you can look at, at, Spotify in particular, I think they've done a lot, whether it's in reflection of that process or whether it's uh, some one causal element, hmm. I'm not sure, but but the way that you listen to music on, on that service is really, you know, there. if you if you really look, you can find tabs for, for genres. Right. But most just it's mood. mood. Yeah, and, <laughs> it's true. And, or activities. And yeah. Yeah. And, and that's you know, I don't, one thing I, I want to be careful of is not reducing music to a merely utilitarian sure. object, you know, like it is art and we need to treat it as art, but also if it is, you know, maybe more like a craft where there are utilitarian uses for it and if people need study music yeah, and if we independent artists who are making incredible ambient music that's really great for studying. I think there's something to be said for having that utilitarian use um, support independent musicians. Well, yeah, exactly. And I, and I, and I agree with you. Um, but, you know, um, I, I think it's okay to, to use those terms because there are passive listeners uh, through Spotify who are, who just open it up and, and need to focus on studying who can, can really fund the careers of people to, to make great art for their active listeners. Yeah. So totally. I, I think it's, I think it's cool. That's a great point. Listen, thanks so much for doing this, Ben. It's been oh, great sure. to talk to you. Um, My pleasure. I, I normally will, will kind of plan out a bunch of questions, but I just, with you, I just wrote down like the, the, you know, CD baby and, and party damage in Portland. Cause it was just so many questions I naturally had. Um, uh, I'm sure I inherently derailed everything you wanted to talk about. <laughs> once I great. start talking. <laughs> it's right. great. Yeah. Thanks so much for this. Congratulations on a, an incredible career so far. Uh, I'm excited about Likewise, I Can I just say, I don't think I've expressed it yet, but I'm such a huge fan of your work both oh, as an man. artist and Thank as a you. label, I, I have, you know, tremendous respect and I'm, I'm really excited for this project that you're undertaking here to, to highlight some of the, the, some of the work that labels do that people maybe don't know about. Um, cause well, I thanks, think man. that's one of the most, one of the most common questions we get, right? It's like, what does a record label do? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so you're, you're a fantastic example of, of oh, thanks, the importance nice. of labels as a curatorial force. So thank you. Well, uh, best of luck with everything, and it's going to be sad not to interact with you at, at CD Baby, but uh, we'll stay in touch. We'll figure out. Yeah, we'll figure out how to stay in touch. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Scott. Bye-bye. Oh, my gosh. I love that guy. What a great guy. Um, thanks so much for listening. Uh, 
please uh, subscribe if you haven't already um, and check out our, our previous episodes if you haven't been following along or if you're just joining us. Uh, also share the podcast wherever you can with some other folks in the industry. It's so great uh, to, to, to see it growing and I really, really do appreciate it. Um, thanks to Ben. Infinite Companion, uh, check out their website, icrecords.com. They're just getting started, so make sure you follow them on Twitter. Their handle is kind of weird. I think they ran out of characters. It's Infinite Companion. Uh, infinite is spelled the normal way. Companion is C-O-M-P-A-N-I. Um, and then Marmoset Music, you really got to check them out. Um, I'm, I'm sure they're they're very stingent with what they uh, accept these days, but they... Um, you can submit your your music to them for licensing and, and the marmoset music is m-a-r-m-o-s-e-t music.com uh, thanks again for listening